1: This is a really wonderful episode with Dr. Becky Kennedy, who is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Good Inside. And I have to tell you, the book is so phenomenal and helpful. It made me realize all the ways I screwed up so royally when my kids were younger and all of the ways I can evolve at this stage in their lives.
2: You know, when we first invited her onto the podcast... I honestly didn't think it would be super relevant to puberty, to raising tweens and teens because her advice is often couched in advice offered to people involved in the lives of younger kids. This advice is so deeply relevant. In fact, I think it's actually more relevant in the lives of tweens and teens than it is in the lives of toddlers and young school-aged kids We hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Becky as much as we enjoyed it. So get out your pen and paper because
1: you are gonna wanna take notes with this one. Enjoy. Dr. Becky, the foundational truth of your wonderful book, Good Inside, is to relay the belief that all people are good inside, even though sometimes many of us forget it, don't believe it, don't see it. Can you explain to our listeners what that means, what it means to see people as good inside?
3: Yeah. And I think it's like a really, you know, simple set of words, right? 10 letters, something like that. And the other thing I'll say before I jump in further is in no way is seeing anybody as good inside an excuse for certain behaviors. So someone who's listening is like, oh, my kid is good inside. I guess it doesn't matter that they cursed me off. Like I would be like, no, no. Like, actually, we can hold both of those things as true. We have to figure out why they're acting that way. And of course, it's not okay. And it's actually really important if you want to be effective with your kids to hold the belief of them being good inside, even in that moment. So, you know, to me, the idea of good inside really comes to life when you think about identity as separate from behavior. I'm a big visual learner, especially with complicated Topic. So, even anyone listening, assuming you're not like driving, then definitely don't do what I'm about to say. But if you're not driving, like if you put your hands out in front of you and like my hands right now are separated, and then you just look at one hand and you're like, This is my kid's identity. My kid is good inside. Or you could say, This is my identity. It's who I am, who I am, who my son is, who my child is, is good inside. Okay. And then you look at your other hand and you say, my child does a lot of things. That hand, That's behavior, right? So on the first hand, you had identity. And the second hand, you have behavior. This is what my kid does. This is what's immediately observable. And what my kid does is separate from who my kid is. I can maintain that my kid is good inside, identity, as separate from seeing that they probably have some, quote, bad behavior. My kid hits, bad behavior. I have a good kid who's hitting. My kid stays out past curfew, bad behavior, still have a good kid. And holding those two things as separate actually allows us to intervene in a way where we kind of maintain a relationship with the child, which is always really important. And it allows us to look at kids from the perspective of helping them build skills, wondering what they're struggling with instead of really looking at them like they're our enemy.
2: Well, you know, it's incredible because your book and your podcast, the frame is addressing parents and the adults in the lives of younger kids. But I actually think that's a very deceptive frame because every single thing you have described, starting with the good inside concept, applies to people of all ages, frankly. And especially, I would say, doubles down, triples down for adolescents. When Vanessa and I each, read your book and kind of went through things separately without talking to each other, the first thing that we said to one another was how we had run the concepts by our own kids, which is something that quite frankly, we don't do with most books. Most books we read in a vacuum and we're like, oh guys, I gotta read this book for work. Your book applied to our own children who range in age from 12 to 19. And I would say applied almost more to the older kids in our group than to the younger ones because of this concept of holding the two pieces of them and the concept of two things can be true, which I really wanna get into that because that to me was everything conceptually. Will you walk through how adults can hold two truths at once And then let's get into it a little bit in terms of tweens and teens who can make it hard for us to hold two truths. They can make a lot of things kind of challenging,
3: for sure, that's one of them, right? (laughs) Yeah, so, and, and I love what you said. You know, it's interesting. A little while ago, I got a DM from someone just saying, are you a management consultant? I was like, why, why do you <laughs> think I'm a management consultant? That's like, like, what makes you think that? And they're like, yeah, I didn't think so. But this book was recommended in this like Slack group I'm a part of for management consultants. Wow. So I went to check out your Instagram first. And I was like, I must have been referred to like the wrong person. And I was like, you know, I am a management consultant. You know, like that's what we're doing with our teens. That's mm-hmm. what we're doing as parents. We are the CEO of our yes. family system and management consulting is about relationships being a parent is about relationships everything is about relationships right. so i'm going to start yeah.
1: calling myself a management consultant a poorly, <laughs> a poorly paid management consultant <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly so two things are true so i would see this over and over in my practice and and a lot of times it would be with parents of toddlers but a lot of times parents of young adults parents of teens anything right where you know it was some version of oh my you know my kid's the worst. And like, you know, whenever I say, clean up your room or whenever I say, you know, they can't have a sleepover tonight because it's a Wednesday and they have school tomorrow. Like <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Right. And I'd say something like about, oh, how your child's having a reaction, something about like their right to have feelings around that. And immediately it was over and over. Parents say, oh, so I can't make those decisions. And I was like, oh, whoa, like somehow one truth collapsed and erased another. Right. Or they'd say, like, why would I let my kid have a sleepover on Wednesday? That doesn't make any sense. Right. And the logic of that boundary, which I agree, perfectly logical, somehow erased the fact that their child could have a reaction to it. Maybe even a child has a legitimate reaction. Maybe let's say it's a Wednesday. It's probably doesn't even matter. Right. And what I'd hear is, oh, so they're upset. So I have changed my decision. Or I have a good decision, so they shouldn't be upset. And I was like, there's all of these, like, I just remember saying over my practice, it's as if only one thing can be true. It's as if only you could make a good decision or your child has a right to have feelings. I think this comes from such a long line of the way that you know we're all reduced to one thing and it's so hard to hold multiplicity. There's so many reasons. But the idea, and I remember saying this over and over, and it was a light bulb moment. It's like, for so many parents, like, wait, what if? both things could be equally true. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean both things get to make decisions in your family. That's not what I'm saying. Again, a decision is different than holding a truth. Totally different things. But what if you had the right to tell your child, iPad time is over, okay? And your child had the right to have feelings. And let's go further. If you really separated those things, you could say, wait, I'm allowed to make decisions My child's allowed to have feelings. Ooh. And also, one doesn't have to influence the other. My good decision doesn't mean my child's not allowed to have feelings, but also my child's feelings don't have to dictate my decisions. I can hold both at once. And to put that like into practice, instead of saying, this is ridiculous, you knew iPad time was over. Or instead of saying, oh, okay. And I'm thinking, I just like really don't want to deal with my 10-year-old's meltdown right now. Fine. 10 more minutes. Okay. Right. Even though, I didn't want to change my mind. I just don't want to have to deal with the meltdown. I would say, wait, okay. And it's helpful as you start to actually practice this muscle. It's helpful to start your sentences with two things are true. I suggest starting it until your kid says to you, stop saying that, okay, which <laughs> they will. I was going to say, point.
1: when did they yeah. tell you, like, enough with the two things are true stuff? And it, then they start inversely using it themselves. Related to age, the older yeah. they are, right. the sooner they tell My 19 year old this weekend was like, Oh, I don't know. What other strategies could you have used? And he just like mimicked me so brutally for the okay, sentence right. I use with him, like for like a
2: decade. I feel like I'm getting an A in Dr. Becky, though, because so yesterday, <laughs> this is what I did yesterday. My son was sitting at the kitchen counter and he's a junior in high school. And he's a junior in high school. You know what? It's a really hard year. It's really exhausting. He has 25 million things. The expectations are steep. And he has standardized tests and he has to carve out extra time. And this is less a decision. It's not so much screen time or sort of a physical limit or an emotional limit that I put on it. It's a strong suggestion how you spend your time so that you can maximize your success, right? For the older kids, that's where a lot of this parenting goes. And so I have had many a time over the last few weeks where I have tried to say to him, Hey, why don't you put your phone down and instead dedicate that wasted time to reviewing for this test? Because then it will be over. Right. And he hasn't been able to hear that. So, you know what I did? I said to him yesterday, two things are true. (laughs) Literally, I said, You have so much going on in your life, junior year, and it's really hard. And I see it. And I appreciate how hard you're working on everything. And also, I know that if you review more for this test, that you're gonna be able to put it in your rearview mirror and be done with it sooner. And so help me, tell me if I got the second part right, help me then get you to the place where you can feel good about the decisions you are making for how you're spending your time. And if your decision is that you need more downtime because you're so fried, then I know those two things to be true. I know I'm right and how I feel, and I know there are probably going to be consequences, but I'm going to kind of hand that over to you a little bit. But you have to see my truth too, which is if you just push through a tiny bit more right now, probably the outcome will be a little bit different. And he first time was able to say, okay, I hear you. He didn't necessarily agree, but he heard me. Yeah.
3: So, I mean, it's so beautiful. There's so many things you're doing there. First of all, I think, you know, another thing I think a lot about is, again, the image of when you're talking to your kid or your partner or someone at work when there's a conflict, which there often is with teenagers, right? Or tweens. So to ask yourself the way I'm thinking about this and the language I'm about to use, does it feel more like I'm looking at my kid at the other side of the table and I'm looking at my kid as the problem? Or does it feel like me and my kid, and I'm gonna cry, like are sitting on the same Mm -hmm. side of the table and together we are looking at a problem. And mm. I think in a marriage, in your kids, in a partnership of any type, in relationship, at work, no intervention should happen until you can get yourself from the first perspective to the second perspective. And okay, I think, Carrie, so. that's, that's exactly what you did, right? He's like, oh, my mom's on my team, right? Mm. Like, oh, now, because what happens in the alternative, right? And And the reason two things are true is so powerful, right? I mean, Think about if a partner is like, I want to go to Italian food tonight and you're like, I want sushi tonight. Okay, that's it, right? If they said to you, Well, I want Italian, think about how that feels. Versus, they said, Oh, two things are true. You want sushi and I want Italian. Like you just, just by them repeating it back to you in that way, you're like, I feel so much more seen. I probably feel more flexible just because you have
0: explicitly
3: so named my reality. I actually think something profound happens. I think when we do that kind of version of two things are true. What we're saying to the other person is in this moment, you are real to me. You are a real person. The things that you feel and think and the stress you have in your life as a teenager with all this homework, like I am validating that that thing really exists. And when we feel seen, a lot of things change. And actually, I always feel like as humans, we're, we're more attached to feeling seen than any individual decision we make. And the less seen we feel, the more attached we are to a decision. And the more seen we feel, the more flexible we get from decisions. And we, we can think about with this team, I'm sure we have a million examples. This can go the opposite way over oh, yeah. and over. And we all double down on really specific things because the real issue isn't that decision or that moment or that action. It's actually seeing someone else's reality.
2: And it's a temper tantrum from the toddler years, just manifesting differently in the seventeen yes. years.
1: So I want to talk about that. So I, fin- I finished the book and I looked at my second. I have four children. My second was the one most different for me and the one who, when I put down your book and I was actually on a plane and I looked across the aisle and I grabbed his hand and I said, I am so sorry. I blew it in so many ways when you were little. I did not understand you. And I said, I wish I had had this book when you were three and four and five, but I didn't. And he was like, It's okay, mom, because you're like, you're, you know, you're making up for it now. And I was like, Yeah, sometimes. So you talk about imagery and you had an image, which I loved, which is that behavior is a window into the person right? And, this, and in many ways, you're saying the behavior is a window into the goodness inside of everybody, but it's also a symptom or a sign of something else going on, right? And you talk about what else is going on for them that's manifesting this outward behavior. Yes. Deep breath, Vanessa. I know. I was like literally crying on the plane, looking at my son and it was like, you know, he was like just a little squeeze. It's okay. The outward behavior of teenagers Akin, Kara, to what you just said about a temper tantrum, right? They have their own versions of temper tantrums. Becky, frame for us what it is we, when they're silent or surly or unkind or explosive, frame for us what it is we say to ourselves in those moments when all we want to do is just, you know, lose it. You love mantras, you use mantras. What's going on in our own minds when we are in that situation?
3: So a couple things. So first of all, for everyone listening, don't think that I do these things with my own children. (laughs) (laughs) Lest you be fooled. Please, (laughs) please, please. My husband's always like, he is sometimes he'll see me so triggered with my older son at times. And he's like, girl, you got to take Dr. Becky's
2: trigger workshop.
3: Like you really need some of those strategies. Like, you know, and I'm like, I do. I really do. Cobbler's you know,
2: children. Go- Cobbler's children. Oh, totally.
3: Yes. And you're yes. like, and by the way, you got to stop calling me girl. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he actually, he would never say that. I was just getting into character. I just was, you know, having a creative artistic moment.
1: If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes.
2: Which is why we created the Umshort: Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders, in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myumla.com. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer
1: That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, lately, I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep. And I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky. And I'm more patient with my family and with you.
2: Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive
1: offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them.
2: Dry a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com puberty and use the code puberty to save $5.
1: So we're all acknowledging that we both give advice and screw up on a maybe minute-to-minute basis, if not a daily basis. But we're really good at helping other people navigate (laughs) their stuff. So it's way easier to do that. (laughs) I'm the one in the screw-up seat. You're the one giving guidance. I think we need to like add that to your cute phrases in the book, the screw-up seat. So what is it like, I'm at a 12, my kid is like, Hitting all my buttons. They don't seem
2: good inside. Right. Because let's get specific. Let's
3: really bring it to life. They're saying what or they're doing what. Like Okay, I'll give you an
2: example. I'll give you an example. Great. This may or may not have happened in my home or in one of our homes. A party was hosted unbeknownst to the parents in the house. Mm. And their honesty is a huge thing in the family and looked us in the eye and literally lied to our face did not feel I good host, inside
3: i did not host a party mom like kind you of did. something like that no nope. yeah I'm, exactly. exactly. I'm
1: not ho- i'm not hosting a party Yeah, i'm not I'm hosting a party exactly uh-huh. not. what party uh-huh. Yeah.
3: Uh-huh. right great okay a couple things so i feel like as parents as humans we're like often in two modes right it could be ourselves our kids often these modes happen at the same time And recognize which mode we're in is really important. It's survival mode, or I always consider like there is a fire in the house. There is an emotional fire, whatever, but it's a fire. And if you had an actual fire in your home, you would not be fireproofing your home during that time. Hmm. If you were and a friend saw you, they'd be like, you're having a wrong order of operations, okay? (laughs) Like, no, good idea, wrong timing. You contain the fire. That's all you do. And I don't think anyone who contained a fire would think like, oh, I didn't do enough. You'd be like, no, I I did the job I was supposed to do. Then if you have a fire in your home and you contain it successfully, you have to afterward fireproof your home. Because if you don't and the same conditions arise, we would be silly not to think that the fire would happen again. Not because you have a bad house, not because you're a bad person, but because nothing changed. And recognizing when do I go into three alarm fire myself? When is my kid in that mode versus Mm -hmm. when are the conditions safe enough to actually fireproof? That is so important. I'm always like, I feel like parents need to understand that like in the hospital, like that, right? So if your child, you'll find out, you're like, I know my child is lying to my face. That is a fire moment. Your child is stuck, right? Mm -hmm. I think here, understanding lying is really, really important. So again, if we think, And this is a good sentence, right? A sentence structure. I have a good kid who? It forces you. It's like, I'm not an English lit person, but I know the sentence structure forces you to differentiate behavior from identity. I have a good kid who's lying to my face or I'm a good mom who wants to scream her head off at her child and take away everything her child has ever had, including all of her clothes and all of her food for the next month, you know, like I just, all that. And all right? electronics and, and all, all electronics and All of that, Yes. right? So in that moment, what I would say to a parent, the best thing a parent could do is just some version of like, whoa, something's going on right now that does not feel good. And we both need some time apart or we both need to cool off right now. I don't think anything good is going to happen from continuing this conversation because hear me out. I know you hosted a party. You're looking at me telling you didn't host a party. And I'm not even going to get into the details because what I know is things aren't good enough between us to have a productive conversation. So, and that's what I would say, even though it would kill some of us to say this. I know. I love you. You're a good kid. This moment does not feel good, probably to either of us. And I know we're going to figure it out, just not right now.
2: Okay. That is amazing advice. I just want to say it again, because sometimes yeah. people say, I love you, but I don't like you. That is not a comfortable sentence for me ever, but I love you. You're a good kid, but this moment doesn't feel good. To either of us. Total, to either of us. Is either a of totally, us. Totally different. It is a wonderful approach. Can I ask a follow-up question?
1: Yeah. So, Is there a time limit on when you can come back? Like, let's say it's taking a while. I mean, developmentally, that time limit would be different for a five-year-old than for a 10-year-old, than for a 15-year-old. Well, I think the coming
3: back, this relates to like, first of all, we have to recognize like, what's triggered inside me at this moment? Is Mm -hmm. it oh, what's wrong with me as a parent that I let this happen? Or why would my kid lie to me? Is it like I'm blaming my kid? Am I blaming myself? And was I a kid who lied and got in trouble a lot? And I'm like, oh, the last thing I wanted is to have a kid who lies to me. Like we all have our own stories, but like that needs to be attended to. So our past doesn't flow into our present, right? We can at least differentiate them. So that is what we would need to do to come back. I'd also say, and I know this is a hard pill to swallow, until you can get in, to the mode of, this is actually me and my kid against the problem of Mm -hmm. lying. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. talk to your kid. And someone's like, well, that might take me a while. Well, then you have to be creative and figure it out. But as long as you go to your kid, from the perspective of what is wrong with you, or even the way like, and I could be good at this too. Like you just say it more from a place of like guilt inducing, like I have like made it really easy for you to tell me the truth. And like, why wouldn't you do that? You know, or like, I don't know, something like that. You know, it's like, oh, now it's like an indictment. on like, am I not a good parent? You know, and my it's kids all about like, you. what the f-? you know? Like, <laughs> you know, like aren't you oh, the yeah. adult? Have you so been living?
1: Have you been living in my house? You're now. You living, I'm like under the desk Are you living with shame. in Vanessa's
2: soul? <laughs> like you have to understand. i I was listening to Good Inside on an audiobook, and there are so many times when you get into character because you're reading your own audiobook, yeah. and it's like listening to Vanessa because you guys <laughs> literally you're the same. You have your sisters from another mister. Is that what it is? Amazing. Okay, Anyways, um, okay. I want to go to a slightly different place with all yeah. of this because constantly through this conversation, what has been pinging in my brain is drug and alcohol use. And I know it doesn't seem super connected, but it feels to me very connected, which is, it can be very hard for parents who have kids that are experimenting with drugs and alcohol to hold two things to be true, to see their kid as good inside, to be on the same side of the table with their kids, because the list of things is long that parents can feel, but the top of the list feels fairly consistent. The top of the list is either I've failed because I haven't convinced my kid to delay their experimentation until their brain is fully mature. Okay. That's one. So that's a very selfish sort of narcissistic. I have failed. And then the other is I can't talk to my kid about this because I don't relate or I relate too much. Either it was me when I was younger or I don't understand this kid. And either way, by the time I'm ready to circle back, okay, I don't know how to circle back and how to set limits and create structure in the relationship. And I would say when I wear my pediatrician hat, the most common issue that I see develop between adults and kids who are experimenting with drugs and alcohol is that second issue where this gap emerges and parents don't know how to keep their kids connected to them, but also kind of set those limits and create some structure and make them. You constantly refer in all of your materials to safety. We constantly refer to safety. It's all about keeping your kids safe, but this one feels hard. Can you walk through a little bit in the world of a kid drinking, smoking, taking someone else's prescription medicine? What might be some approaches that parents can use?
3: Yeah. I mean, This topic is so nuanced, right? And I, you know, I think one of the things that happens is like any behavior, right? So it's drug use or, I don't know, or symptom like anxiety, depression, like those are again behaviors on the surface. Those are symptoms, but everyone's, uh, you know, story about why they're kind of turning to those behaviors or symptoms is actually a little bit different and Mm -hmm. understanding what our kids are looking for and getting out of certain things and why they're turning to those things is really important. I think that this is like broad ranging, right? So, uh, you know, recently in our community, had a, it was a powerful post, uh, had a long thread of like, my kid is friends with people who are really mean to her. Like they make her like bring candy to like keeping friends with her. They like, you know, and she's desperate. Like, and I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know where's her. And, uh, we have to understand what that girl gets from those friendships before we do anything to try to create some dissonance and move away from those moments. She must be getting something, right? And it's the same thing actually with drugs and alcohol, right? So there's a range, right? Like, you know, not all drug and alcohol use is the same. Not all drugs are the same, right? Like use, frequency, reason, reliance, experimentation. There's so many trying. There's a million different things. All that could be lumped together. But I think first, let's just like look at them more on a scale. Yeah. And what I would say to parents if they're like, my kid is getting drunk like every weekend. My kid, yes, is turning to prescription pain. Why? Why is your kid turning to prescription pain meds? And let me be clear. One of the answers, and I have a whole list that could be. I promise you not on the list is you're a bad parent. It's actually like, I, I don't think right. that. I often say to parents like, when kids are struggling, and I think that's an important word. When we see kids using drugs or, you know, kids hitting people, missing school, whatever the behavior is. Everything we see through the lens of like, what is wrong with my kid? We could see through the lens of, I'm going to cry. Like, my kid is really struggling. Mm. And as soon as you see it, like, wow, my kid must be really struggling with something to be taking his friend's Xanax and like popping Mm. it to go get an illegal prescription. And Wow. It softens you enough. And again, two things are true. People are like, oh, so it's okay. Nobody said it's okay. But this is like, so it's okay. They're taking drugs. It's not okay or not okay. It just is. Like if I dropped a glass and it broke, is it okay the glass broke? Is it not okay? I I don't even, I just think it's the wrong question. It happened. Right. right? We
1: don't want to focus on the judgment on the behavior. We want to focus on what story it's telling us. I want us to close with my favorite, phrase Mm -hmm. to come out of this book. And like literally everyone in my life is going to be so sick of hearing it from me. And I'm going to get it. I don't have any tattoos, but I might get it tattooed Mm -hmm. somewhere very private, which is the concept of most generous interpretation. And approaching a scenario with the most generous interpretation of what's going on for someone or why someone is behaving that way. Can you send us off with a beautiful framing of what that means to approach? challenge, struggle with the most generous interpretation.
3: Yeah. And I think that idea is representative of how I think in general and not in the specific concept. But to me, ideas that don't have an actionable strategy are not ideas that I feel comfortable putting out in the world. Because <laughs> I just like, I'm so used to being at conference. I'm like, that's an amazing idea. But like, okay, like, what do I do? What do I do? And we always talk about it at the team, like whenever we put out ideas or a new workshop, it's like, okay, if if someone doesn't know what to do after, like keep iterating, you know? (laughs) So the idea of my kid is good inside, right? Okay. Identity separate from behavior, seeing them on the same team. Like those are all, I think, really powerful ideas and can shift things. But to me, I'm like, but what's like an actionable strategy that allows those ideas to come to life? And I think asking yourself the question, which is the skill and a question you have to ask yourself post facto. We can't do it in the moment. We're often too triggered. So start at night. Okay, so my kid lied to my face. What is my most generous interpretation of why my kid lied? My kid, you know, was a straight day student and now they're barely getting, you know, passing grades. Okay. If you're like most humans, you can come up with the least generous interpretation. Really? Oh, easily. my kid's lazy, my kid doesn't respect me, my kid is just like a rude, obnoxious, entitled teenager. You're like, I have a whole list. Those come really easily, (laughs) right? And so it's a new muscle to work. So what's the most generous interpretation? And often the word struggling comes up, right? So why would my kid lie to me? I often, if I can't find the MG, I call it an MGI, I'll say to myself, Well, what would make me do something like that right? in similar situations? And I think any adult who says I would never, I, I say, I call bullshit on that. Whatever the thing is, like, bullshit. We all could do a lot of things under a lot of scenarios, right? We're all doing the best we can with the resources we have available in that moment. And if we don't have resources, a lot of us would do a lot of bad things. Uh, Me too. So why would my kid lie to my face? Well, if I was with my husband, what would make me lie to his face? I'd be really scared of his reaction. I feel like I'd get a look of, you're the worst, or I can't believe you would do that, or essentially shaming me, right? Whether he would or not, if I imagined he would, I would lie to just preserve my good feelings. That would make me think like, oh, I wonder what my son thought would happen if he told me, yeah, I did host a party. Now, that doesn't mean I'm making it okay to host a party. We do this weird thing where it's like, if I explore that with him, it's like, I'm okay. Like, it's the nastiest view of human behavior. Like if I wasn't in a good place with my husband, And he was like, whoa, you've been really short with me. And like, it's really not okay how you're talking to me, but also something must be going on. And I care more about what's really going on for you than how those words happen to come out of your mouth. So let's cool off and talk about it. I just can't imagine. I'd be like, oh, he's really telling me it's okay to talk to him rudely. It's so nasty. It is so nasty. It is so the opposite of seeing people as good. And so asking yourself that question, I really think... this would be a whole nother topic, but like, I think a lot about the concept of parental fitness that like, we know with fitness, it's not about going to the gym one time. It's not about like, it's like, you end up just, you know, doing small things on a relatively regular basis. And like, that's how you really build your muscles. And I think a great way to build kind of parental fitness is just asking yourself that question, like three nights a week, two nights a week. Like, let me think about something today with my kid that felt really bad. And then let me just ask myself, okay, what is my most generous interpretation of that behavior. It's addictive.
1: uh, It is addictive. addictive. I literally can't stop doing it now. I did get stumped in one scenario, but it wasn't with my kid. It was with another adult.
3: (laughs) And (laughs) which is, you know, trickier. It can be, yes. (laughs) Trickier.
1: Yes, yes. So I, I want people to read this book. It is really spectacular. It's accessible. It's smart. It feels very real and honest. You put yourself in there with the reader in a really authentic way, which I'm super grateful for. I'm like, oh, come sit with me on my worry bench because you're right next to me with all of these. I won't call them parenting fails. You must have a cute term for it's not parenting fails. It's some other version of screwing up that makes it sound better.
3: Learning moments.
1: Learning moments.
3: Yes. Moments for expansion. Expansion. (laughs)
2: Lots of lots of learning (laughs) moments. We expand every day over here. Exactly. Endlessly. <laughs>
3: yes. Please come back and
1: visit us. This was so great. And we're so grateful.
3: Thank you. Well, thank you both so much.
2: And yeah, looking forward to connecting soon. Thank you, Dr. Becky. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye.